Thanks for tuning in to the Link Church podcast. Link Church is located in Charlotte, North Carolina, and is committed to linking people to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. I am really excited today to talk to you about what I believe God has laid on my heart this morning for mothers. Are you excited also about the Word of God? It's his word that sustains us. It really is his word that sustains us. That's why the Bible uh, tells us that man can't live by bread alone. And I know sometimes if you're like me, it feels like you can live by bread alone because bread is awesome. I will take bread in all forms, French bread, garlic bread, a Kaiser roll, whole wheat bread, potato bread, multigrain bread, oatmeal bread, uh, homemade rolls, sourdough, yes, hard dough. Uh, You might have to be a Jamaican to understand what I'm going with that one. But even hard dough bread, I'll take that. Uh, And so God is saying, even with the different varieties of bread, Jen, you still need the words that proceed out of my mouth. So I am going to um, shortly just jump right into the word of God. But first, I do have to honor my husband, who is also my pastor, Pastor Mark, who is, I believe, the world's greatest pastor on this side of heaven. And so I'm grateful for him. Yes. Thank you, Miss Joyce. Yes. Um, and so we are so grateful that God has brought us together again to glean something from his word. And I'm going to get right to it. So Luke chapter eight, verses one through three. All right. So here uh, begins the reading of God's word. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God And the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. Uh, That here ends the reading of God's word. I'm going to speak to you this morning from the subject, Violators. We are going to talk about violators. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love. We are so overwhelmed, God, that you would take the time to speak into and pour into our lives. We are grateful, oh God, because we know that it is your word that gives us life, that gives us strength, that encourages us and uplifts us. And so, God, today I'm asking that you would have your way in this place. I'm asking God that you would allow me to decrease so that you would increase and that you would be glorified. I ask God that ultimately that after we have heard your word, we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers also. We thank you, God, that your name is lifted up today and that every distraction, every hindering spirit that wants to come upon your word is rebuked in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for all things in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, I have to start off by telling you uh, a story of a man who had a wife and five children. And uh, this man was a preacher. Uh, At the time that this story takes place that I'm about to share with you, he wasn't pastoring. So he was uh, working a nine to five, but he also would... uh, preach uh, around town and even around the country, and so he was an evangelist. And so he had a wife and five kids, and he would go to work every day, and usually, sometime throughout his workday, he would give his wife a call just to check in and say hello. She was a stay-at-home mom. And so one day, he goes to work as usual, uh, 
He's sitting in uh, his cubicle, and he decides he's going to give her a call. So he gives her a call, and there is no answer. But that's not really strange. I mean, three out of the five children that they have are school-aged, and so they're at school. But the other two are younger, and they're at home. So he knows that it's quite possible that she could easily be tied up with one of the kids or maybe even on the other line. So he's like, that's fine. I'll just give her a call back. Uh, and so he waits a little bit, and, and then he makes a second phone call to the house, and again, no answer. And so at this point, he's a little concerned, but still not overly concerned, because he's like, listen, maybe she had an appointment and forgot to tell me about it. And so he just kind of lets it slide. But then he can't fight that urge and that nudge to, to hear her voice like he normally does. So he calls her a third time and there's still no answer. At this point, he's frantic because his wife is very organized. She's very on top of things, and he's like, if she had a meeting or an appointment, she would have told me. I, I hope she's okay. I hope the kids are okay. I'm going to ask my boss if I can take a break, and I am going to go home and check on her. So he goes home, and while he's driving home, his mind is racing with all kinds of thoughts. His heart is racing, and he pulls into his neighborhood, pulls into his driveway, and the first thing he notices is toys all over the lawn. Well, this is a problem for him because his wife, as I said, is very neat and very tidy, and even with five kids, she somehow manages to stay on top of the house. And so for him to see toys in the yard is concerning because he's like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. So he goes inside of his house, and he notices that the two youngest children who are home with the wife during the day, uh, they have not been changed into their regular daytime clothes. Their faces are still dirty from breakfast. Their hands are sticky. There's uh, dishes piled up in the sink. There are baskets of laundry piled up in the living room, but his wife is nowhere to be found. So now he's extremely panicked and he is anxious, and he is wondering what is happening. So he calls her name, and there is no response. He calls her name again, and there is no response. So he runs upstairs to the master bedroom, only to find his wife there laying in bed, reading a novel. And she says to her, you know, now he's, he's relieved, but he's also upset all at the same time. So he says to her, did you not hear the phone ring? I, I called you three times from work. And she said, yes, I did hear the phone ring. He said, okay, you didn't pick up. Did you not hear me when I came in the house and I called your name? And she says, yes, I heard you calling my name. He says, so why is it that there are dishes everywhere? The kids look a mess. There's toys in the yard. You didn't answer the phone. You did not answer when I called you when I entered the home. You're sitting here reading a novel. What is the problem? And she said, well, you know, the other day you were sitting at the table and you were complaining and you were saying that you have so much to do and you're so overwhelmed and you have a lot going on. And then you turned to me and you asked me, and anyway, you wouldn't understand because you're home. What do you do all day? And she said, I figured since you weren't sure what I do all day, I figured I could show you better than I could tell you. And so then that it clicked for him that, oh, wait a minute, maybe I overstepped my bounds because I see that without my wife being here, dishes pile up, kids are dirty, laundry doesn't get folded, house isn't clean. And uh, I'm told that this man and his wife lived happily ever after until she passed away, but I believe they went on to be married for about 45 or 50 years. But I'm also told that he never asked that question 
again. So moms, happy Mother Day, happy Mother's Day, because guess what? We see and we know, right, that we all have a lot to juggle. So I thought that would be a great way to open up, because not only does it tie into the message, but it lets you know that you are appreciated. But, and I, and I do hear sighs from the peanut gallery, but it is okay. But listen, God, uh, God knows just uh, as much as some of us know firsthand that people in general, especially when it comes to wives or moms or even just women, right, are often juggling a lot and have a lot going on. You know, the saying goes, and I'll have to help, have you help me out here, ladies. The saying goes, a man may work from son to son, but a woman's work is never done. Or, or the one that I learned when I was growing up that I thought was genius, by the way, that, that says, uh, patience is a virtue, catch it if you can, often found in woman, but never found in a man. Yes, I, I always thought that that one was genius. And so uh, we know what it's like to juggle things and have a lot going on. And sometimes uh, people handle their stresses and their challenges differently. There are some people that are so even-tempered, so even-keel, that you wouldn't know that they're under stress. Um, to be honest with you, I think my husband is one of those people. He can be under a high amount of stress, and unless you really, really know him well, you really wouldn't be able to tell. He's pleasant when he has just a little bit of sleep. He's pleasant when things are coming at him at totally different directions. Uh, he could walk in here stressed to the max, and when you say, good morning, pastor, he's like, good morning, how are you doing? Other people, maybe not so much, right? There are people out there who, when you say good morning to them, the response is more like, well, what's so good about it, right? There are people who it seems like the least little thing uh, gets them upset. They're always angry. They're always on edge. Uh, sometimes we feel like people uh, like that just have uh, a nasty attitude, and it could be the case, but sometimes uh, there's more to that person than what meets the eye. Sometimes that person responds negatively or seems to be uh, toxic because they have a lot going on. Sometimes you'll notice that somebody seems to run from toxic relationship to toxic relationship or abusive relationship to abusive relationship, and you think that it's because they just are too lazy to get out, or, or they just don't want to try, or, or, or they just feel as if they can't do any better, but sometimes there's more to them that meets, than meets the eye because internally they've got a lot going on. And so you can't always judge a book by its cover. Uh, sometimes it's, it's not just moms, it's not just wives, it's not just mothers, but women or people really in general often are carrying things that you don't know anything about. People are often fighting private battles and private wars that you don't know anything about. You see them in the public, and because you don't like their uh, public behavior or their public demeanor or their public way of communicating, you assume that they just have it out for you or that they just have an attitude. But have you ever stopped to think about the fact that maybe that person has a lot going on? Just like the husband and father in the story that we uh, were talking about at the beginning of this message, it was hard for him to see beyond the surface that his wife had a lot going on. And so sometimes it's hard for us unless the person 
tells us that they have a lot going on or unless the Holy Spirit were to just impress it upon you that the person has a lot going on. Sometimes you would be shocked at the things and the weight that people are carrying and yet they're still able to get out of bed every day, still able to get their clothes on and get to work. Even what some people go through just to get to church every single Sunday is a fight and it's a battle and it's a struggle because the enemy does not want them here. The enemy does not want them hearing the word of God. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if he can get you to stay out of God's presence, then he's already winning. And so some people fight tooth and nail to get to church every single Sunday. But here we are judging them, not understanding and realizing that inside, in their heart, in their mind, in their emotions, they have a lot going on. You know, I, I, I think that what's interesting about today's topic is that we sometimes want to know, well, what is it that people have going on? I, I mean, why is it that they're that angry or that depressed or that worried? Um, you know, some people are like always worried. They're always anxious. They're always kind of like waiting for uh, something bad to happen. But often people that react in ways that we may find unsavory, or not so pleasant, not only have a lot going on, but at some point in time, they may have been violated. See, last week, Pastor talked about trespassers, and you might think that trespassers and violators are one and the same, but they're actually a little different. Because, see, a trespasser can come in, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've had time to do damage. So, for example, if a burglar enters a person's home, Sometimes the, the police or the owners of the home are able to ward off that trespasser before he's able to take anything, or before he's able to do any damage. But a violator has not only trespassed, but now they've also caused harm. A violator has not only trespassed, but now they have caused pain. Now they have caused anguish. Now they have somehow taken control of the situation. And so sometimes people have a lot going on and you don't understand their outward behavior because they've not just been trespassed, they have been violated. And I believe that today, even though I know this may not be your typical fuzzy, warm, flowery Mother's Day message, I believe that there's no better way to spend Mother's Day than to make sure that we're all in a place of freedom and in a place of deliverance and understanding whether or not we've been violated and if we have, how do we get rid of it? So ask your families, you know, to, to, to take you to Daphne's. I heard that's a good bakery, um, someplace else to eat. Uh, but, but you can get all that sugary stuff afterwards. But today we're going to deal with violators versus trespassers. And I think if anybody understood what it was like to have a lot going on, it would be Mary Magdalene. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about her. We don't know whether or not she was an orphan or came from a two-parent household. We don't know if she had siblings or if she was an only child. We don't know if she grew up in a house full of brothers. We don't know if she was a vegetarian or if she ate meat. We don't know much about Mary Magdalene, right? Because the Bible doesn't tell us much about her, but the Bible tells us a lot about her in terms of the fact that she had been uh, delivered from seven demons. <clears throat> now that's a lot going on, okay? Because struggling with one demon causes you to have a lot going on. Imagine having seven, and seven is the biblical number for completion. 
And so for Mary Magdalene to have seven demons means her issue was completely severe, right? She was totally uh, violated by these spirits. And so uh, the Bible doesn't necessarily list for us all of the things that she may have gone through uh, as a person that was possessed with these demons. But if you do your research, they'll say that Mary Magdalene probably went through things like epileptic episodes, which would not have been uncommon for somebody who was possessed. But some uh, scholars have even said that she might have also been so severely violated that she may have gone through bouts of deafness and blindness because she was just always tormented. She was just always uh, subject to these demons. She was just always uh, being tortured by them. And so sometimes uh, when you see somebody who is acting in a way that seems to be crazy, that seems to keep them depressed, that seems to keep them uh, with these episodes that you can't understand, you don't know just uh, how many violators they may be trying to fight off and ward off at one time. And I'm sure society had kind of pushed Mary Magdalene to the side because it wouldn't be easy to be friends with someone like that, right? Wouldn't be easy to have them at your Thanksgiving or your Christmas dinners. Wouldn't be easy to hang out and go shopping with them because you don't know at what point she's going to quote unquote act out, right? You don't know at what point she may embarrass you just because she's not really put together. Because if you're struggling with seven demons, I imagine that a lot of times you're probably also unkempt, right? And your appearance, your hair is disheveled. You may not have bathed properly, all those different things. But at some point in time, somebody had to have noticed that Mary Magdalene obviously had been violated. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us where, how, or why? We don't know if this started as a child or if it was through her teens or in her young adulthood. But at some point in time, we can tell that Mary Magdalene had been violated. And how do we know that? Because the way in which she was acting lets you know she was actively dealing with violators because violators will cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do on your own. So when you look at someone who is promiscuous and you say, well, she just wants to be out loose, he just wants to be loose, have you ever stopped to think that perhaps they have been violated and haven't been taught the correct things to do with their body? And so maybe it's not that they want to be loose, but somewhere along the line, someone violated them and convinced them that that was all that they were worth. And so now that's how they are behaving. Yeah. <clears throat> When you see somebody who seems to not be able to ever hold on to money, they get money, and as soon as they get it, it's out the window. Have you ever thought that maybe at some point in time they had been violated? Meaning that maybe at some point in time they had been taken advantage of, and maybe what they did earn was never spent on them. And so they have this subconscious thing now that says, when I get money, I'm going to spend it, and I'm going to spend it on me as fast as I can. Yeah, it may be a bit selfish, but have you ever thought about the fact that the selfish behavior is coming because they have been violated. You see somebody who is always angry. No matter what you do, they're angry. Uh, uh, they, they're angry that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, and we all already know that. But they go to the drive-thru, and they're upset, and they're yelling at the door saying, y'all are dumb. You need to open up on Sundays. Why are you that upset? That's their policy. 
but you don't know what may have gone uh, through their minds or what uh, experience they've had even as a child that causes them to be angry. Perhaps somebody uh, rejected them. Perhaps somebody put them down. Perhaps somebody told them they were nothing and now they walk around carrying this anger and this hatred, not because they have something against you and they're just trying to be mean, but at some point in time, they were violated and now these demons are in them and they are trying to live a normal life, but they just cannot because of violators. Uh, you see, there are things that we wouldn't normally do that we do once we've been violated. And it's a touchy subject and people don't want to talk about being violated and people don't want to talk about violators, but it is a very real thing. Because see, you see, the thing about violators is that they don't discriminate based on your socioeconomic status. Your violators don't discriminate based on your family name. Your violators don't discriminate based on even how old you are, unfortunately. Your violators come in at a time when you are most vulnerable and at a time when you feel weak and are unable to your defend yourself because see, violators don't play fair. Why? Because they're sent from the enemy and the enemy does not play fair. See, the enemy comes in when he knows that you are weak he comes in when he knows that you are isolated. He comes in when he knows that you have no way of defending yourself. Why? Because he's a coward. So he comes in when you are at your weakest point. God also comes in at your weakest point, but the difference between the two is that God comes in to give you victory. The enemy comes in to violate because the Bible told me that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And to me, that sounds like a violator. So you've got to watch your surroundings you've got to watch who you're around you've got to watch when you've got those urges to want to be by yourself and all alone because the enemy is waiting for you to get weak enough and low enough for him to come in and violate you because he does not play fair if he were not such a coward he would pick on someone his own size right and so we know that when we are operating outside of the spirit of God, when we are uh, weak, when we are not uh, prayerful or we're not asking uh, people to hold us up in prayer, the enemy can easily slip in and do what it is that he wants to do. But the other thing I want you to know about violators is there are three things about them that I believe we have to know uh, because you cannot confront uh, effectively what you do not understand. Notice I said confront effectively. Because some of us confront situations and, and, and we confront people, but not effectively because we don't understand what we're even dealing with. The Bible tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? So if you've got somebody that's giving you trouble, you're often fighting the person not understanding that there's a spirit behind it. You've got troubles on your job and you're fighting uh, your coworkers tooth and nail not understanding that there is a spirit that has come to frustrate you. It is not their flesh. For if it was their flesh, you would have probably already overcome. But maybe you're still struggling because you're fighting the flesh. You're not going down and fighting the war on your knees. The greatest of wars have been won on our knees in prayer. It doesn't matter how many weapons you have. It doesn't matter how articulate you are. The enemy is not intimidated by your articulate words. The enemy is not even intimidated by how much scripture you know if you don't live it. Because knowing the Bible and living the Bible are two different things. 
And so you cannot absolutely confront your violator if you know your word, but you don't live by the word. The enemy knows the word, so he's not easily intimidated by that. But when you live the word and you've got the authority and the power of Jesus Christ at work within you, that's when he's intimidated. And so what I want to tell you about violators are three things. Number one, violators are arrogant. How do I know violators are arrogant? Because violators come in as if they have a right to be there. Violators feel as if they have a right to treat you however they want, to speak to you however they want, to do to you whatever they want, to say things about you if that's what they want to say because they're arrogant. They think they have a right to be there. But what I want you to know today is that no matter who or what has violated you, it had no right. It may have been painful. It may have caused you grief. It may have caused you uh, to go on a certain path in life for a while that you never intended to go down. But it is not your fault. The issue is that the violator was arrogant and, and, and felt like they had a right to be there. But when you are a child of God, the enemy has no place in any aspect of your life. He has no place in your mind. He has no place in your finances. He has no place in your health. There's not one aspect of your life that belongs to the enemy. So you've got to bring him down to size and remind him that you are more than a conqueror and that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world violators are arrogant but we're serving the enemy notice today that they have no right in the lives of the children of God the second thing you need to know about violators is that they are aggressive you ever try to uh, get out of a situation let's say it's a friendship or even a romantic relationship and you try to end it amicably but the person just won't let go person just kind of like won't let you cut them off. And you're like, wait, I'm doing the cutting off. You, you don't, you don't, like, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Oh, we are going to be friends. Like, wh who, like, what? But it's because they're aggressive. And uh, I believe it is seaweed, right, that if you actually, the more you pull on it, the, the stronger that the grip gets. And so sometimes uh, situations in life are just like that. The more you try to get away, the tighter that they hold on. And that's because violators are aggressive. Violators uh, need a home. That's why Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Those demons needed a home. They needed a place to dwell. They needed a place to thrive. And I would have to believe that Mary Magdalene was not enjoying her life when, while she was bound and while she was possessed. But you just have to wonder if certain times when maybe she had tried to be free, were her violators holding on even tighter? And how do they hold on tight? Because you may say, well, well why not? Why doesn't someone just walk away? Well, one way that they're aggressive is that they'll remind you of your past. And so a violator will remind you of the things that you did that maybe are deplorable. And maybe the things that you did that you wouldn't tell anybody. And that you wouldn't even tell God except for the fact he already knows everything. So violators are aggressive because they'll remind you of your past when you try to get away. Or they'll, they'll uh, convince you that God can't possibly use you based on what you've done or based on what you've not done over the years. Why? Because they're aggressive. Uh, you remember uh, in the Bible, we can see instances where God would be ready to um, cast demons out of someone. And, and those demons, they didn't want to go. 
right? Because where, where are they going to go now? They need a home. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was one instance where he had to cast the demons into swine uh, because they, they needed a home. They needed somewhere to go. They're aggressive. They, 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 they actually depend on you to house them. And when you try to get away, they often won't let you do so without ease. But probably the most important thing that you need to know about violators is that they are liars. How do I know violators are liars? Because the devil is a liar and there is no truth in him. And so violators will convince you that you have to take their mess, that you have to take their nonsense, that you have to live this way. But God wants you to know today that even if you forget that they're arrogant, even if you forget that they're aggressive, do not forget that they are liars. Whatever the enemy tells you, it's always the opposite because he has no truth in him. You know, some people know how to like kind of tell you a little bit of truth. So sometimes he'll give you just enough to make it seem real because God will tell you that you're well, but then all of a sudden uh, you're breaking out in cold sweat at night or, or you're throwing up blood. God said you're well, but then the evidence doesn't seem to match up. But that is a violator that is coming in to try to destroy your health. But the devil cannot tell the truth. Even if he wanted to tell the truth, he couldn't tell the truth. He is a liar. When a violator tells you that you cannot serve in the kingdom of God <coughs> because of what you've done, You've got to tell that violator that God actually is using my mistakes for his glory. Satan meant it for evil, but God is turning it around for my good. And I know that what I went through, it doesn't mean that God enjoyed seeing me go through it. It doesn't mean that if God had a choice, he would have me go through it again. But what it does mean is that God is going to get the glory out of this. You've got to remember that your violators are liars. When your violators tell you that you have to live, this way because uh, uh, you have no other choice that's when you throw the word back th at them and remind them of Jeremiah 29 11 because the Bible says I know the thoughts that I think towards you they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to bring you to an expected end and so if evil thoughts are entering your mind and they're entering your heart that is a lie from the pit of hell and you better rebuke it and you better tell that demon that he gotta find another house because you're not housing him anymore you've got to learn to serve your violators and eviction notice some of you are allowing your violators to take up space in your heart and in your mind too long but God is saying today I'm not even giving you a 30-day notice I'm not giving you a 14-day notice I'm giving you an immediate eviction notice you've got to get out and you've got to get out now because you have tried to destroy me you have tried to break me down you have tried to hinder me from my purpose but you are a liar and I don't know where you're going after this but I know where you won't be you will not be in my mind you will not be in my heart you will not be in my finances you will not be in my children you will not be in my neighborhood why because I know exactly who you are but I'm serving you an eviction notice you've lived here rent free but your time is up violators we put up with them way too long they have trespassed but now they have also violated and violation comes in so many different forms 
it can come in the form of abuse. And there's different levels of abuse. Sexual abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse. A violator can come in the way of just uh, mistreatment. So like, I remember watching a documentary one time of this young girl who said that her father sent her to live with uh, an aunt. Um, and this, young, this person actually lives in a, in a foreign country and so uh, she had to pay for school, but the schools in their area weren't that great. So her father sent her to live with her aunt and she uh, said that her father was sending money to pay her school fees, but her school fees never got paid and she actually ended up on the streets. That's a violation, right? Violating a, a child, stripping them of something that uh, actually it belongs to them, that is owed to them. And that's what violators do. They strip you of the things that are owed to you. So they'll strip you of peace of mind. They'll strip you of healthy relationships. They'll strip you of healthy self-esteem. But maybe you like the mother at the beginning of this sermon, or maybe you like Mary Magdalene also have a lot going on. And today when I'm talking about a lot going on, I'm not just really talking about your schedule. We know that most people in here probably have busy schedules, right? Juggling work, juggling school, juggling church responsibilities, family responsibilities, juggling things that uh, you may not even talk about, but it's on your plate. But today when I'm talking about having a lot going on, I'm talking about a lot going on in your mind. See, when you can't sleep at night, that's not always just because you're creative, right? Sometimes creatives can't get sleep at night, but if you can never sleep at night and you're not creative, then you know that that's probably not the issue. Insomnia is not something that God gives to his children. We experience it, but that's not coming from God. Insomnia is coming because you may be still housing a violator. And did you know that your violator could actually, if it's a person, be deceased and be six feet under, but yet they're still violating you? And they're still violating you because even though they're deceased and they can't physically talk to you anymore, pick up the phone or text you, they're violating you because everything they ever said to you and everything they ever did to you replays in your mind over and over again. Happened five years ago, still playing in your mind. 15 years ago, still playing in your mind. Maybe even 30 years ago, still playing in your mind because you never dealt with it. Your violator could be a situation that has long uh, past, it's in your rear view mirror, but yet it still has the power to violate you because you've not dealt with it. See, violators have to be dealt with because so long as you don't deal with them, so long as you don't confront them, so long as you don't talk to them, they will continue to violate you even after they are gone. And there are two types of people in this world. There are victims and there are victors. And it's really one thing that separates the two. What separates a, a, a victor from a victim is that the victor no longer um, is willing to believe the lie that the violators have been feeding them all these years. And so when we say we no longer acknowledge or, or feed the lie, it doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the pain that someone has experienced as a result of being violated. It doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge the fact that you have maybe felt shame and guilt over uh, the violation that occurred and that happened to you. 
But a victim, even when they're given the opportunity to be free, says, you know what? I'm going to wallow in this. I'm going to still be angry. I'm going to still be hateful. I'm going to still be upset because I have every right to be. Whereas a victor says, I know that I have a right to be angry. I know I may have a right to be hateful. I may have a right to be unforgiving. But I am going to be victorious because a victor has decided that I am not going to be overwhelmed, but I am going to overcome. A victor decides that I am no longer going to cow down to the enemy, but that I am going to stand up with courage and fight with everything that is within me. A victim says, you know what? I don't want to deal with this because it's too painful. A victim says, I'm going to deal with this pain because my pain is what propels me into my purpose. My pain is what helps me to walk out God's plan for my life. My pain is not only what helps me to walk out my purpose, but my pain is what connects me to somebody else who also may have been violated and who also may be believing the lie that they're unworthy and that they cannot give God anything of substance but I know that if I can be free that they can be free and so you've got to make a decision today are you going to be a victim or are you going to be a victor we're not saying that what happened to you was right we're not saying that what happened to you should have happened to you but we're saying that at some point you've got to take another step and decide that you're not going to live in a place of being victimized but you're going to live in a place of victory because that is what God has designed for his children not for you to be victimized not for you to be cast down but for you to be victorious for you to shout until those walls come down for you to know that nobody can do um, what God needs to get done through you but you you have to do it but the first thing you have to decide is will you be a victim or will you be a victor because God, unlike a violator, is not going to bulldoze himself and his way into your life. He'll knock. He'll call. He'll nudge. But he's not going to just, he'll pursue you, but he's not going to be impolite. He's not going to do anything that's going to cause you harm. He's going to call you. Yes, he will pursue you. A violator just comes on in without being welcome. God needs a welcome right? Now he has the power to come in without a welcome, but it kind of just goes against how he operates. Because it's kind of hard to operate through somebody who really doesn't want you there, right? So it doesn't mean that everything God tells us to do, we want to do. But when we ultimately want his plan and his will for our lives, it makes it easier for him to get his job done. And so when I was working on the conclusion of this message, God impressed upon me to ask each of you in here to think about how you may have been violated, whether or not you've dealt with it, and how much longer you're willing to be the victim. Or will today be the day that you are willing to be a victor? See, Mary Magdalene uh, really became significant in the kingdom of God. Right? Because after she was made whole, she was traveling with Jesus. She and other women were giving of their substance, meaning giving of their income, whatever they had, to help fund the ministry. I was actually listening um, to a pastor preach about Mary Magdalene one time, and he said that it's cool 
that God put in there, put in the Bible, that, that uh, certain women traveled with Jesus and his disciples. He was like, it's cool he put that in there. He was like, but as a guy, I can tell you that's a no-brainer because, of course, they needed, of course they needed some help, right, from a woman. Because he was like, God by himself would have been fine, but once you start adding those other 12, whoo, they needed some help. And so Mary Magdalene... <laughs> It's Mother's Day. And so Mary Magdalene is part of that uh, entourage. She's part of that group. The same one who at the beginning of our story had seven demons and had a lot going on and had been violated is the same one that is in the very company of Jesus. She wasn't just somebody that sat distantly off in the crowd who had been touched by him and who had heard of him but had never really had one-on-one -on -one contact with him. She was in the company of God. God wants you to be in his company. But like Mary Magdalene, you've got to decide today is the day that I am no longer going to allow these violators to control my life. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. For more information about Link Church, you can visit us on the web at www.linkchurchnc.org.